0: you've been to Europe, you've seen the great cathedrals, incredible cathedrals that took them 150, 200 years to build. How did they build those things? You know how they built them? The Roman Catholic Church came up with something called indulgences. Indulgences uh, basically were based on the doctrine of purgatory. Now, you will not find the concept of purgatory in the Bible. Jesus never talked about purgatory. It's nowhere to be found. Uh, the Bible says when you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell, based on what you have done in relationship with Jesus Christ and his offering of sacrifice and forgiveness. Heaven or hell? Well, that didn't quite work. So they came up with this thing called purgatory. And purgatory is where you go when you die. It's not hell, but it's not quite heaven and what you have to do is that you have to do penance and you have to pay for your sins so they came up with this idea we've got to raise some capital we've got to raise some cash to build these suckers so they came up with this thing and this is what Martin Luther stood against there was a guy named Tetzel and what he did he went around selling indulgences indulgences were based on how big a check you wrote you wrote one for 10,000 bucks that would credit you X amount of indulgences that was to your credit so that when you went to purgatory it would cut down the time you spent in purgatory and you could get to heaven sooner. Now that's nowhere in the Bible. But that's how they built all the great cathedrals. They had to change what the scripture says. There's no purgatory. There's heaven or there's hell. So teach us to number our days that we might present to thee a heart of what? Wisdom. So no matter where, you know what we all have in common, guys? No matter how old you are, no matter where you are in life, what every guy in this room, what we all have in common is that where we are, we all need the wisdom of God. Every one of us. If you're um, a single guy, you need the wisdom of God. If, if you're just out of college and in your first job, you need the wisdom of God. You've never been here before. If you're married and you've got three kids and you got a mortgage payment and you're all stressed out and you know it's daddy, 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 and you know you can't ever have a conversation with your wife and uh, I mean life's nuts. What do you need? You need the wisdom of God. You see, 50, 55, what do you need? You need the wisdom of God. See, no matter where we are, what we need is we need God's wisdom today because we've never been on this place on the path before. We know what's behind us but we don't know what's ahead of us. So see that's why James says in James 1 if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and will not reproach. That's the amazing thing about God. He offers to give us this wisdom. So really what we're doing all through life what we're doing is the Christian life is a life that is lived in pursuit of God and His wisdom alright now let's, let's, let's get real practical so where do we get this wisdom uh, let me give you two things we, we could lay out 25 things but let me give you two number one Pursuing wisdom begins by meditating on God's word. I'll say it one more time. Pursuing wisdom begins by meditating on God's word. Psalm 119. If you have your Bible, you might want to flip over there. Psalm 119, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Psalm 119 is all about the word of God. If you're going to pursue God and his wisdom, you have to begin by meditating on the word of God. First of all, you accept it First of all, you accept it, and by accepting it, you submit to it, and you obey it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. James says, don't just be hearers of the Word, but be, what, doers of the Word. The the, the whole point is just not to hear the Scriptures, the point is to do the Scriptures so the scriptures are central what was it Jesus said man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is right here in this book now this week I got a new bible I didn't buy it they sent it to me and they sent one to Chuck Um, What we got, how many of you guys have an NIV translation? Okay. The publishers of the NIV have come out with what they call the T-NIV. Today's new international version. You don't need that version. (laughs) That's a version you don't want to spend your money on. And several years ago, they announced they were going to do this Bible. So, isn't it like the NIV? It's different, because this is a gender-neutral. And by the way, there is no such thing. This is a gender-neutral Bible. And what happened? Uh, a number of pastors and scholars got together, and took a stand. And uh, actually, some full-page ads were taken out, and uh, and then James Dobson brought the publishers together with some representatives of uh, the scholars and pastors who felt like they were changing the Word of God and the publishers said they would not go ahead with the project. Well, they went ahead with the project. They just did it under the radar and they did it under the surface. So, uh, all the guys who signed that statement against it they send us a letter and ask us to reconsider and they want us to read it. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing but my friend Wayne Grudem uh, has and he's a professor at Phoenix Seminary and uh, Wayne's really a world-class scholar and a great guy and he's done an article this week in World Magazine and he just has highlighted some of the changes between the NIV and the TNIV interestingly enough if you go to the, uh, the world website, the world blog website, uh, they will show you the packaging of the NIV and the TNIV and they look exactly the same. And they don't talk about the fact that these are two different Bibles and that there's a change in the translation. They don't do that. Why? Because if they said up front this is a gender-neutral Bible, nobody's gonna buy it. I'll just give you two examples. Because, you see, um, the word of God is important. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, anybody remember? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired. Literally, it's, it's what is it uh, Theopneustos. It, 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 all Scripture is God whew, breathed. That's the meaning of the term. NIV Hebrews two seventeen. If you got an NIV. Here's what it says: For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful High Priest in service to God. That he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Here's the, what the TNIV says. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. Now I remind you, the word sisters is not in the Greek text. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people so you go down to Dallas seminary you take a course in Greek you start working through the Greek New Testament you're reading Hebrews and the word sisters is not in that text so why the heck did they put it in? no, it's well, I don't care where it is it's not in the text it's not in and it's never been translated that way before ever now listen to this Gruden says Did Jesus have to become like his sisters in every way in order to become a high priest in service to God? All the Old Testament priests were men. And surely the high priest was only a man. We know that biblically. This this text does not quite proclaim an androgynous Jesus who is both male and female, but it surely leaves open a wide door for misunderstanding and almost invites misunderstanding. Meditate on that phrase in every way and see if you can trust the TNIV if the word trust, if the word, if the word sisters is not in the Greek text why would they include it? because somebody has an agenda other than translating accurately what it says. There's something else they're trying to accomplish. Then Wayne goes to uh, Revelation 22.18 which says in the NIV I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Now that's interesting. How does the TNIV render it? Listen carefully. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if any one of you adds anything to them God will add to you the plagues described in the scroll. Now listen to what Grudem says this is priceless. The first you added by the TNIV is plural referring to the whole group of hearers therefore the second you is also plural and if anyone in the group adds to the words of prophecy, the, the penalty is now expanded to the whole group. You follow what he's saying? You got a group of guys here that decided they're going to add. You don't add. You don't touch it. You don't edit it. And one of the guys that is involved in this, he sent out about a a 10-page scholarly, you know, he's given all his justifications. But you know how he ended it? And he's got all this and that, you know, you're reading You know how he ends it? Is that his two teenage daughters invited a girlfriend to church. And um, the daughter... Um, uh, they were sitting in service and the pastor was reading I believe out of Proverbs where the text kept saying my sons, my sons, my sons my sons and this girl who was not a Christian said to the daughters afterwards why didn't it say my daughters and then this guy makes this emotional appeal how can we exclude this young woman who did not understand how can we make her feel ostracized? How can we, well, and that's how he closed off his whole argument. Now let me tell you something. What was interesting is that I was having a conversation with my son Josh who was then the same age as the girl that had the problem. She was 17, Josh was 17. And you know what Josh said to me? Josh said, how in the world can those guys think they can change the word of God? See, here you got a world-class scholar, and you know the thing that tips the balance for him is that there is a little girl who is not a Christian who doesn't discern the things of God because the natural man doesn't understand the things of God because they're spiritually... Here is a little girl that isn't saved who needs to know the Lord, but because she asks a question and can't make sense of it, let's change the whole text. That little girl has become the authority. God is the authority. And I don't care what other translation you got. If it says sisters, it's wrong. It's not there. They've added. Once again, I'm just trying to win friends and influence people. Okay. I got my little clock up here. It's a great little clock. It's on Pacific Standard Time i got one more. So you want wisdom? You want wisdom? Then stay in the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Absorb the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. And I'm sorry to tell you guys this. You say, no, wait a minute. I can't trust. Let me tell you something. You can't trust a TNIV. So I'll tell you what I use. I use a New American Standard Bible. When Chuck preaches, he uses a New American Standard Bible. They are absolutely true to the Hebrew and Greek text. Almost sometimes, almost it's accused of being so literal. Well, you know what? That's what I want. I want to know what it said. And short of taking the original languages, that's what I use. Another one is the ESV. Great translation. Okay. We're talking about wisdom, pursuing wisdom. Because you don't want to waste your life and you don't want to ruin your life. Let me give you one more principle. Pursuing wisdom is best done in the company of wise men. So first of all, if you're going to pursue wisdom and pursue God, you've got to be meditating on the Word of God. But secondly, pursuing wisdom is best done in the company of other wise men. Proverbs 13.20 says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So who do you hang out with? Does this mean that we don't have any friends that are not believers? That doesn't mean that. You know it doesn't mean that. But it means in terms of your peers. It means in terms of the people that you respect. It means in terms of the people that you listen to. If you want to be a wise man, then what you do is you walk through life as you're going down the path. You walk with men who love wisdom and are indeed wise because they in their own lives and in their own heart, they have a fear of the Lord. That's how you find wisdom. Uh, the, the Christian life, we're not designed to live the Christian life by ourselves. What is it that Hebrews says? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is, as is the habit of some. Gene, Gene Getz did a, did a book what, 25 years ago, and I can't, I can't remember the name of it, but Gene talked about all the um, one another passages in the New Testament. There are tons of them. Love one another encourage one another. Accept one another. Pray for one another. See, we're a group, we're a body. None of us are designed to live by ourselves. So, you want wisdom? You want to walk with God? You want to enjoy life? One of the old Puritans, and I've used this quote before, but it fits. One of the old Puritans used to say, to live well, is to live twice. You know what he was saying? He was saying if you seek God and seek God's wisdom, uh, the quality of your life is going to be far above someone who doesn't live that way. In in other words, if, if you follow God and His principles and His truth, the quality and the enjoyment and the depth and the significance of your life you might as well live twice you're gonna cram it into one lifetime his goodness and his mercy will follow me all the days of my life I I, I've mentioned you guys before that I had a friend that I went to seminary with and this guy was extremely gifted and about four years ago, this guy went on to get a Ph.D. in New Testament. This guy knew all the languages. He was a whiz at church history. I mean, this, this sucker, he had it. Uh, when we were in seminary, he was one of the golden boys. Uh, everybody loved him. If you knew this guy, you'd love him. Professors loved him. Uh, he, he, was, he was a rising star. And uh, four years ago, Committed suicide and took his life. Uh, part of his problem, this this text in Proverbs says, "He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companions, but the companion of fools will suffer harm." When I look back over this guy's life and everything that happened to him, I remember that he had two guys that were his closest friends. Uh, both of these guys were in ministry. They were seminary graduates. Uh, they, were, they were both very sharp, very gifted, very articulate. Uh, at early ages, in their 20s, received promotions way beyond their maturity and their experience. They were given a lot of exposure. They were speaking in front of large groups, Uh, You would be impressed with with all three of these guys. Um, What they they also had in common is that they all had developed the habit of taking moral shortcuts. Uh, Things came easily to them. And if something didn't come easy, they'd find a way around it. They'd talk their way. These These guys were incredibly articulate and winsome and persuasive and, and uh, they were very smooth and they could manipulate and, and you wouldn't even know you were manipulated. They were really, really good. They had strong people skills. Um, they took moral shortcuts in school, they took moral shortcuts in their marriages, and they took moral shortcuts in their ministry. these guys were the three stars when I was in seminary. One of them's committed suicide, oh. and the other two are motivational speakers. If someone asks me what I do, and I tell them, they say, oh, you're a motivational speaker? I hit them in the chops. <laughs> I don't do that, but I say, no, I'm, not a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. I don't do motivational speaking. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. I'll never forget when I was just starting out. And I left pastoring and I was doing this conference stuff and I was a little thin and this guy called me up and he wanted me to do this. This guy was some big time trainer and you know, big, you know. Um, wasn't Zig, it was another guy. Zig's got character. He's the real thing. This is one of those guys. And he said, hey, I'd like you to come do this deal. And he was at a conference night. He said, man, I'd like you to come. And we wound up sitting on a plane together after the conference. He said, man, I'd like you to do you know and do this. And He says, and we really pay well. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, we pay real well. And uh, he said, if you come and do this with me within a year, I can have you at $10,000 a speech. I said, really? And see, that month I was wondering how I was going to make my mortgage payment. And I'm thinking, I could make a whole lot of mortgage payments with, with 10000 A speech! A speech! I said, so what do you do? He said, well, I, those principles I heard you do this weekend, you just give those family principles. I said, can I use the scripture? He says, ah, nah. that wouldn't work. <laughs> I said, gosh, you know what? I can't do it. He said, oh, yeah, you could do it. Just give them the principles. I said, you know what those guys need? What those guys need is Christ. They don't need to fix their families, they need to fix their lives. And they can't fix their lives unless you tell them about Christ. Unless you give them the word of God. Can't do it. And one of my best friends had was in on it and, and he said, Yeah, don't do it. Interestingly enough, my friend, five years later, was working with a guy who had motivational seminars but he brought my friend in to do a session on family and he said just teach the scriptures. So my friend did. And then my friend noticed when he and about half of his income was coming from doing these seminars. But he could preach the scriptures to all these people. Then he noticed when he'd go in that this guy wouldn't have dinner with him, this guy wouldn't spend any time with him, this guy was kind of backing off. And then he noticed whenever he saw this guy, he never saw his wife, but he saw he was always with this assistant, this female assistant, was real nice looking. And so there was a point where my friend sat down with this guy and said, what's going on here? It looks to me like you're involved. And he said, you know what? You just need to back off. This is none of your business. And my friend said, yeah, it is my business because what you're doing is wrong, it's sin. And he said, I'm telling you, just leave it alone. Well, you're finished. And he says, no, you don't understand. I just resigned. And, and you know what? He lost half his income just like that. And he called me and we talked about it. He who walks with wise men is wise. But what does it say? He who is the camp- companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, Here's a principle, guys. It's better to stand alone than to walk with wrong friends. Better to stand alone than to walk with wrong friends. Uh, All the way through life, you know what's going to happen in different ways, shapes, and forms? We're going to be encouraged to accept bribes. Proverbs talks about that. A bribe is anything, especially money, given or promised to induce a person to do something illegal or wrong. Proverbs 15:27 says, "He who profits deceitfully troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live." There's wisdom. And as interesting, as we walk down this path of life, have you noticed how you keep being tested? God just keeps testing his men, doesn't he? And he'll bring up this and, it's, well, gosh, it's another test. I thought I passed that test. Yeah, well, yeah, it came, but now you got it again. He'll test your integrity. He'll test your obedience. He'll test your heart. And every time we pass those tests, you know what he does? He blesses our life. We don't, te- we don't pass the test. You know what we got to do? We got to go to summer school. You don't want to go to summer school. You could have a whole lot of fun in the summers, but you don't want to go to summer school. So why not just go ahead and pass the test and enjoy his favor and enjoy his blessing? You see. And then you move to the next grade and he'll continue to bless. He'll test you, but you just keep saying, Okay, Lord, I surrender. I want your favor in my life. That's that's wisdom. That's what we all want. Let's pray. Thank you Lord for your word, thank you for your truth. We live on it. Help us to be wise men. Lord, we get wisdom from from making wrong moves and we, we gain experience from doing things that we shouldn't have done. Now, the whole point is to learn from those mistakes. So, Lord, I pray for every guy that will face a test this week. I pray for myself that we'd pass the test. Because the eyes of the Lord are in every place. We want your favor. We want your approval. We're looking for this in our sons. We're looking for maturity. We're looking for growth. We're looking for integrity. And when we see it in their lives, we honor them. When we don't, we've got to pull the reins in. That's what you do with us. So, Lord, encourage us. Remind us that you're with us. And wherever we go, your hand is upon us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.